1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1019 in the Bible that's provided for you in the pew. 1019. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting there in verse 12. This is God's word. For just as the body is one and has many parts, in all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. We're talking about Christ's body. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body. The members would have the same concern for each other. So, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is God's holy word. Amen. Amen. How often do folks in the pew think about this high view of church membership? That Paul articulates right here. Let's stop and pray once again. Let's pray. Father, we pray through Jesus and by the Spirit for eyes to see, for illumination from the, from the Scriptures, for attentive minds and brains, Lord, in weakened bodies, that our souls may be helped and built up in you. Give us a greater love for Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. I don't care about my blood pressure. I'm going to eat my bacon and smoke my cigarettes. I know I should wear my seatbelt, but it wrinkles my shirt. Look, a trainer will cost money. I'll take my chances on hoping I don't end up with hospital bills related to health later on. It can be tough to hear someone disregard good counsel about their health. We all do it. I delayed way too long in dealing with my back. Our personal health is important. It's one thing for sure, but, but what about the corporate health of the local church body? What about when churches delay healthy steps to clarify the gospel and the people of the gospel the way we see Paul do it in the New Testament? It may not sound as ridiculous as, hey, I, you know, I don't care about my blood pressure. I'm going to eat my bacon and smoke my cigarettes. But I want to make the case, even, it may be, I would say it is more, more important because it's about representing Jesus uniquely as his witnesses. I want to give you some examples of, of the way uh, healthy things are delayed, pushed off in churches today that I come across often. In some of these examples, church membership means nothing to the pastors, it means nothing to the church or to the individual member, and does not resemble the mindset of Paul. 
like when someone makes little of the account that we will give as pastors. I remember the pastor of a very large SBC church, a man to this day, I hold in very high regard, say one time, we have 26,000 people on the roll. The FBI couldn't find them all, but that's what I'm told we have. How about disregarding the call to repent? I remember a relative telling me recently the story of how a local big-time pastor went off on, a, on how a woman who visited his church was crying over the fact that the church she was previously visiting would not allow her to be baptized until she stopped living with her boyfriend. And the big-time pastor mocked it, baptized her, brought her into the membership while she was living in scandal, and the congregation applauded like what he did was, without doubt, the right thing to do as if Jesus never said, you must repent. How about making little of the corporate witness? I remember another relative telling me how tired he was of one member constantly putting their church on blast through social media with no accountability. How about making little of other churches? There are loads of situations where a small group leader can be contentious in some location, move on to the next place, and there is no regard or at least a look into the situation by the receiving church about what happened. How about making little of the of the pastors and membership today, we're, we're happy to post our, you know, I want to be really clear, I am delighted that we post our content on the church website, we have a podcast, I'm happy for those who are unable to attend, but today there's this whole other extreme and movement to create what's called online church, I put that in quotes, and they had to create it in their minds because it does not exist in the scriptures to foster non-assembly. In a day and age when pastors come cheaper by the dozen, not knowing what a church is, why the gospel cannot be marketed, that baptism is not an accomplishment like passing kindergarten, and why being ambassadors for Christ is a huge responsibility, I want to make the case for us to be faithful to God's word as it pertains to being a local church. Many churches in America are missing the goodness and the wisdom of Christ's word. They miss the clarifying and freeing truths in it while being held captive to ever-changing trends and the winds of popularity. So many are locked into pragmatism and now compromising, no surprise, on gender roles. Next comes the compromise on marriage and sexuality. This is a slope, it always is. They have been compromising on the doctrine of God for years, and next comes a man-made God, little g, according to people's feelings. They're more interested in easy tips than counting the cost for the pearl of great price. Today, too many parents choose a church based on their children's delight in not being bored rather than choosing a church that has what it takes to help mom and dad on the path of maturity and, going and growing in the Lord. We live in an age of accommodating children, so much so that when we ask them what, what gender or species they want, they, they want to be now, and, and see how in, in, in parents, it makes a, uh, parents today make a shallow and easy choice over and over again rather than what requires spiritual sweat and for the discipleship of their home. Too many congregations are interested in chicken soup of the soul for Christianity, where we're always in our feelings, and you see it in their music in their preaching, and in their polity. Forgetting the Great Commission says to not only go, but to teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And so the Bible shows us examples of those who sadly compromise so that we would be wise by the Spirit. They're there so we would learn from that. And it reminds me of Isaiah's powerful preaching in Isaiah 1 where God declares he's sick of fake worship. Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight, stop doing evil, learn to do what is good, Isaiah said. The Lord says through Isaiah, learning to do what is good, that's moral, right in the eyes of God. That, that's the spirit in which I want to preach this opening sermon today, this, this year, um, re, remake, re, you know, remaking the line and holding the line on biblical church membership in this day of pragmatism I don't want to be I'm not worried about pleasing men but I want to be concerned about King Jesus this morning the one who shed his blood for me at Calvary 
the one who was raised on the third day in accord with the scriptures, the one who ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and who's coming again to judge the living and the dead. So if I offend anybody's sensibilities, I'm not really worried about people. I'm worried about the king of glory. And I want to tell you, reverently, so should you be. La Plata Baptist Church, we were once under sin's dominion. But now we've been set free because of the Lamb who has paid the price for our freedom in his perfect atoning work. We are under his reign. When we come together as a church, we're saying we're under this banner, Jesus. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. We are the assembly of the rescued, my brothers and sisters. It is his church. So I want to do a few things in my time with you in this special sermon. And today, if you are... I'm going to be bold here. If you are sinfully and lazily not caring about doctrine or theological foundations, you're going to be bored. You will be bored. But the Bible tells us to love the Lord our God with our minds as well, beloved. Do not miss theological and doctrinal foundations. Otherwise, the weight of the application will not carry. So I'm, I hope to lay some theological and and doctrinal foundations so that you're rooted in the truth and that your applications are not legalism, but rooted in Scripture and its power. First, this morning, I want to look at a quick overview of the book of 1 Corinthians and just see how church membership is, is here in Scripture in a clear way. Just this one letter, just take this on. And that's not counting the rest of the Bible or the New Testament. Just take it on 1 Corinthians. Second, I want to focus on this section I read to you begin with, chapter 12 where we get the exact language of church membership, members of his body. And third, I want to spend some time on some practical questions like what is a church, what is membership, and how can we bring, hold the line of biblical fidelity today. <clears throat> I am not a coffee snob. I enjoy my coffee out of a can. I just do. Perhaps it's nostalgia. I know that my wife and Mary Goddard will continue to tease me about my coffee choices. My favorite is chock full of nuts. I can't help it. Uh, you know, I like the, the Cuban roast to be specific. You know, they were originally a, a, a company that sold only nuts and, and coffee on the side and their vendors there in New York City. As time went on in the Great Depression, they went full-time to coffee, becoming a staple and legend in New York City. And and they kept the name, though, chock full of nuts, though they, there's no nuts involved whatsoever. Point number one. 1 Corinthians is chock full of reasons why membership matters. 1 Corinthians is chock full of reasons why membership matters. Remember when Christians, some of you have been in church a long time, they used to talk about being a good witness as it pertains to righteousness. You remember those days? I want to be a good witness. We need to be a good witness, right? <clears throat> and ch churches are losing the term holiness and, and, and changing it out today for relevant. Forgetting God's word is always relevant. I got to tell you, I see a lot of churches in their practice and, and preaching almost foreign to this mindset that we're to be holy. Why would we care more about accommodating the culture than about being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know. I know it's, it, it, there are many reasons, largely popularity and comfortableness, to name a, couple, name a couple there. But 1 Corinthians is a letter of response written by the Apostle Paul to a church he planted in Corinth, and he's concerned about their witness. You follow me? We discover a lot of problems, but especially the problem of pride among those whom scholars call the elite. And Paul's theology is that believers' unity with Christ creates the fellowship of the saints. It's not the fellowship of the saints that creates unity with Christ. You've got to get that order right. And let me say alongside Paul, to be identified as members of the body of Christ is no small thing. To be a part of a church is no small thing. Some congregations make it that way, but biblically, it is no small matter to say, I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I mean, that changes. When you have that mindset, it changes how you deal with the person at the grocery store or how you handle the crazy guy in traffic. 
uh, or, or how you treat your neighbor or how you treat your fellow church members. You are declared at pub publicly through baptism that you're part of the body of Christ when that, member, that church body welcomed you in. It is no small thing. And what does Paul mean by the body of Christ? The church is the present corporeal, earthly manifestation of the saving act of Christ. Not just like a body, it is the body. It's the physical witness of Christ on earth. The special nature of this body is that being a body is affected by Christ. No wonder Paul has so much informing and correcting to do in 1 Corinthians. How they live matters to their witness. They are the corporeal witness, the body of Christ on earth. In the local church, unity and service are properly the spontaneous expressions of being the body of Christ. It's a service. And all Christians offer not only to each other, but like their Lord beyond. For as Christ is, so they must be the body for the world. So let's start, let's go back to chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. Just do a uh, we're just going to peruse through 1 Corinthians here quickly, just, just to get some momentum, some high points, where Paul is correcting erroneous views of the gospel, their erroneous views of themselves and of the local church. Chapter 1 and some into chapter 2. Membership matters because the gospel is central to our fellowship. Membership matters because the gospel is central to our fellowship. A people formerly divided by all kinds of things in the world have now been united in Christ and they ironically had to be called out for their divisions. Paul asked in verses 12 and 13, is Christ divided? What are you guys doing? The gospel message that is foolish to the natural man because of the cross is ironically being delivered in a cutesied way with eloquence that empties it, look at verse 17 and 18, of its effect. You know, friends, let me just pause here. Some of you may not know what I mean when I talk about the gospel message. God, according to Scripture, took on full humanity through the Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we none live and to die that human death to redeem sinners like you and me. He was raised on the third day just like he said he would be in victory over sin and death. And we have all rebelled against God. And Jesus is our only hope. Pastor Garrett, are you saying I have no hope outside of Jesus Christ? Yes. However, for many, Jesus is offensive because they believe they are either good enough in their deeds before God or that it's just so stupid to believe in what Christians believe and, and, and live for Christ. I mean, how stupid can those Christians be, they think? But the Bible nevertheless commands every one of us to repent and believe, and here's the scandal, in a crucified Savior who died for our arrogant, rebellious, grumbling, lustful, prideful selves. You cannot cutesify that up. You can't cutesy up the gospel. A Messiah bleeding on the cross. You can't, you can't dress that up and warm it up where it just manipulates people emotionally. It's just the fact. It's the fact of the matter. Jesus had to die because we're sinners. Not because of anything he had done wrong. He went in substitution for us. You can't dress that up. You have to look and live. You have to look at the one who is a curse for us and find life in him alone. Knowing that sin and judgment fell upon him so that forgiveness and cleansing could come upon us in Christ. You must repent and believe. That's the message. Is what That message brings us together. When we gather around the table today to observe the Lord's Supper, our communion is in Christ. Amen? Amen. This church was undermining its own identity as the body of Christ. Flip over to chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Membership matters because the church is God's temple. Membership matters because the church is God's temple. Verse 16, you are God's temple. Paul says they are the household of faith built upon Christ. Emmanuel, God, is with us. So to claim love for the church and yet ironically attack it as they were through divisions testifies really in action like one who actually hates God as an enemy headed for destruction. Chapter 3, verse 17. 
So this church's poor view of membership actually was harming their own edification. When the church forgets that we are the temple of the Lord and we walk in division, we are walking like someone who's headed for destruction. Look at chapter 4. Church membership matters because regenerate members display God's power through weakness. Regenerate members display God's power through weakness. Look at verse 20 of chapter, uh, chapter 4. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of talk, of man's lofty talk, but of the Spirit's power. The apostles, look at that. Look how they saw themselves in verses 7 through 12. They saw themselves in a long line of other faithful witnesses who had been called, this is against our nature right here, friends, to weakness, highlighting God's power. By ironically, the Corinthians saw themselves as strong, even eschatologically superior, like, like, they had, like it had already arrived and they were the elite. So when membership doesn't matter, you forget your power source is the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, look at chapter 5. Membership matters because church discipline assumes it. Church discipline assumes it. You know, the Gentiles knew that the, an incestuous relationship was wrong, and yet the Corinthians tolerated this and other unrepentant sins in their membership. And so when a church is comfortable in sin, membership no longer matters, and the church loses her light and saltiness. Now, let's go look at in a big section here, chapter 6 through 10. Just flip over to chapter 6. We'll go through chapter 6 through 10 now briefly. Membership matters because the church is called to corporate holiness. The church is called to corporate holiness. The Corinthians claimed to be wise, but they sought the petty self-seeking wisdom of the court system to settle their little disquabbles between church members. Uh, they claimed understanding, yet ironically they seem to not discern unrepentant sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God and don't belong in the membership of the church. And that's verses 9 through 11. In verses 12 through 13, some perceived a high view of their freedoms in Christ, yet they were mastered by their stomachs, their base desires, and so the church looked no different than the world. That's exactly how the If you live according to your desires, and if you live mastered by your feelings, you look just like the world. Look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Some among them thought marital relations were ironically defiling them, when in fact, they needed to give themselves faithfully in marriage for purity as the people of God. And then in 17 through 19, chapter 7, some were ironically more concerned about nullified commands like circumcision rather than the active law of Christ given through the apostles for the church to devote themselves to right now. Derailed by this thing that's unapplicable for them, totally missing the clear call of Christ. And in chapter 8 through 10, you know that section their demands of liberty as it pertains to food ironically only reveals again they're subject and enslaved to their stomachs. They forget they were free to say no to selfishness, preferences, and able to discern what, when they are and not only eating uh, but actually participating in idolatrous demonic feasts, bringing reproach on the cause of Christ. So when membership in the local church doesn't matter anymore, the corporate witness continues to downgrade. Again, this sermon, I'm just trying to bring, hold that line. Hold the line, church. Now look at chapter 11 through 14. You can just look at that section now. Look at chapter 11. Membership matters because of the order of corporate worship and observance of the Lord's Supper. Membership matters because of the order of worship and observance of the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians were pursuing their heightened individualism in casting off clear gender signals in chapter 11. Verses 1 through 16, ironically, only to display the world, to bring shame on themselves, and misrepresent God's order and gift of gender in the church. And one of the most glaring ironies is their horrid observance of the Lord's Supper, verses 17 through 33 in chapter 11. When they assemble as one church, they ironically, what do they do? They divide themselves by class, by preferences. I mean, it's a good thing. The, I mean, how, uh, people say the word of God is not relevant sometimes. I'm like, I, I guess clicks just don't happen anymore. I mean, I don't know how they divided necessarily. I don't know if they did it by style of music or by economic status, but they divide themselves. And in those actions, 
They show that they actually hate the church of God and exclude their brothers and sisters through separate meals where they party like the world does. So instead of examination, sobriety about sin, and unity with the church, they pursue drunkenness, live in unrepentant sin, divide the body, and what they end up doing is proclaiming a false gospel in their corporate gathering. That gospel that's being preached at that Lord's Supper is not the truth. It's a false one. So that's why in just a little bit, we're going to carefully observe the Lord's Supper as a church. It's a church ordinance reminding us to keep trusting in Christ, to keep repenting of sin, both as individuals, and, but also we are in this together as one body. We are united as dependent ones on Jesus and submitting to him. Enter chapter 12 through 14. They think the gifting of the Spirit is, their, is for their edification rather than for the body. So they were self, very self-promoting. And so when membership doesn't matter, the people take liberties in worship that are about themselves as weak leaders sit back and let it go on foolishly. You can see it today when the song leader forgets the congregation and wants everyone to be a part of his quiet time or his emotional state rather than getting up there like a man in maturity in service of the congregation. We do not open a service ever by saying, hey, how you feeling? What does that have to do with it? How you feeling? I'm not going to ask you that. The question is, isn't he worthy? Amen? Amen. That's the question. Isn't God worthy? It has nothing to do with how we felt that day. Our feelings come and go. Chapter 15. Membership matters because the congregation should already be living in light of the return of Jesus. It matters because the congregation should already be living in light of the return of Jesus. You know that famous chapter, glorious explanation of the resurrection of the dead. It reminds believers that that what they do in their bodies right now in righteous living tells the story that we're headed for glory. This was needed because instead of the people living in light of the short time we have on earth to glorify God, they ironically reject the resurrection in exchange for the myth. Look at chapter 15, verse 32. Look at their doctrinal statement. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die to excuse what sin they may commit in the body since only the soul is what matters in their thinking. So friends, when membership doesn't matter, the church forgets that their unity and godliness tells a story about the end times in an already and not yet fashion. We are already free from sin's dominion, and yet one day we will put on a new body totally free from corruption, fitted for glory. That's point number one. I just want to make the argument that how we do church, and how we live as his witness, it really matters. 1 Corinthians is chock full of those reasons. And I didn't hit them all. Number two, church membership is explicitly taught in 1 Corinthians 12. Church membership is explicitly taught in 1 Corinthians 12. So there is a, maybe you're here today, and you claim to be a Christian, but you're not part of a body of believers. I just wanted you to see how um, uh, opposite that is of the New Testament's view of Christianity. And maybe today is the day you say, you know what, I need to go forward. I need to go public with my faith. I need to come under the membership of the church and be a part of the body in a formal, accountable way. So when a group of people have been called out from sin, as we heard in 1 Thessalonians this morning, assembled in the gospel of Jesus, it should show itself in their lives. Specifically, it should show that they are under the authority of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving attention, giving attention to God's word. And so the context of 1 Corinthians 12 is first about, the obviously, the allotment of spiritual gifts given to believers by the one spirit for the common good of the congregation. That's the context, I understand. And Paul promotes humility and excludes boasting because God is the one who gives gifts according to his sovereign will. There's no boasting in salvation or in service. Tom Hanks said there's no crying in baseball, in a a, a baseball movie. Well, Paul says there's no boasting in self in Jesus Christ. There's no boasting. And so verse 3 is key. Look at verse 3 of chapter 12 before we look at the verses we're going to look at today. It sets the tone here. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that confession of the Lordship of Christ is key and critical to understanding this section. 
The Lordship of Christ is the benchmark by which gifts are evaluated. They aren't a showing of our strength. They are intended to communicate the truth that Jesus is Lord. Gifts are intended to communicate the truth that Jesus is Lord. That's the context. There's no hierarchy in the local church. If you're born again, if you've been truly converted by the Spirit, you have the Spirit of God. He empowers and gives members of the church to fulfill different roles at different times according to God's plan. So let's look at the text together. If you're taking notes, here's the first subpoint. It's a reality based on the Spirit's baptism. It's a reality based on the Spirit's baptism. God has made one body out of the many by the Spirit in Christ. So God's forming his church of diverse people groups in Christ by the work of the Spirit, just as he promised he would do. And he assigns roles to each one, just as God gave function and purpose to each member of your own physical body. Everyone has a role, and God expects you to do your job. I have a, a, a coffee mug. I've referenced it before. It came from the Patriots Place in New England. It has Bill Belichick's slogan on it, do your job. When I leave in the mornings, I sometimes say, guys, if you ever wonder what needs to happen today, just go pick up that coffee mug. It will tell you, do your job. You get in your lane, take care of it, get it, get it done. And so God has a purpose for every member of the body, and everyone has a role and expects us to do our job. You know, there's something about going through two-a-day practices in football, especially in the state of Florida. I'm from the state of Florida. If you can't tell I have a southern accent, then that's, I'm, I'm encouraged that it's, 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 it, you can understand what I'm saying today. Um, but uh, there was something about going through two-a-day practices, in, 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 especially in the state of Florida. I remember the camaraderie that we formed and the bonding that it formed. As all the other boys of the school slept in during the summer, the football team guys were up early. And we went through something together. We were colliding. We were running. We were, it, was, it was a lot of pain. It was a lot of effort that went into it. There was a unique bond, of course, that happened after being baptized in Paul Wittenberg's two-a-day practices in Florida heat. Look at the logic here. Verses 12 through 14, there is one body but many working parts in the church. Make no mistake, we're all not just an elite group of song leaders or teachers or decision makers. We were all baptized, immersed into the Spirit by Christ if we truly confess Christ is Lord. He endows every believer with the power, with power by the Holy Spirit to be his obedient and useful people by pouring out, drenching, baptizing them in the Spirit. And this mysterious uniting to God through the Spirit is such a precious new covenant gift Believers in Christ share a common bond because every one of them has been plunged into and drenched with the Spirit. And far more meaningful than a team, a football team, and often our own blood relatives in this life is the bond that we have with those who've been purchased together by the blood of Jesus. That we can look at each other and say, I've been forgiven and you have too. We've all been cared for by Jesus. That's a stronger bond than anyone you'd ever could form here on earth. What we have in Jesus is that central. Look at the emphasis throughout the passage. One body, one spirit, one life of God. The spirit in himself unites us together in himself. And notice he does this with diverse people groups to form one new people. The father, as Michael Horton said, gave a bride to the son the Son redeemed her, and now the Spirit unites them in everlasting communion. I mean, how amazing is God? Young people, don't take this for granted. Don't just assume that this group of people right here around you would just get together on our own naturally. Only God can bring this group of people together. We're here together because of Christ. He takes a bunch of messed up people and sinners and diversified people and forms them into one cohesive unit to glorify himself through how they love one another and how they live out the gospel of Jesus. If church members don't grasp the theological foundations, then they will continue to make the church about their felt needs and walk and walk and walk year after year in dysfunction. Get this into your foundation, beloved. Or you will walk in dysfunction. As you know, this text formed the root of a Protestant principle, the priesthood of all believers. Martin Luther heralded the ministry of the church is not restricted to a handful of professionals like the magisterium, but the whole body has been equipped by the Holy Spirit to participate in the mission of the church. 
Beloved, either church member membership reflects the supernatural priorities of the Spirit or it reflects a fellowship of the world with a little Jesus mixed in there. And you know that happens. I mean, do you want real gospel life in a church or you just kind of want like your own little worldly country club that, you know, with some minimal engagement and, you know, a little Jesus sprinkled in? Or do you want real gospel fellowship? Do you want to see the church care more about a guy getting free from porn? Let me ask you this. I want to put this positively. Don't you want to see the church care more about a man or woman getting free from porn than they care about the music program? Uh, don't you want to see a church more excited about the preaching of the word than they are about feminized worship songs that gets everybody in their feelings with mood settings built in? Don't you want to see people love each other not just in good deeds that can be posted on social media, but in private conversations where they help each other get out of besetting sins, care for their spouses, dis discipline their children biblically, and carry the gospel to the lost. Do you understand? There's two types. There's you, there's there's different types of life that churches have in them. You're either having gospel life or you're having something else. When was the last time you fellowship with someone in the church about your own sin struggle, or they felt? Uh, open, uh, felt good enough to come to you and talk to you about theirs. Friends, that's what we're here for. This isn't a place for the healthy, it's for the sick, those who know they need Jesus. Raise your hand if you need Jesus. There we go. Praise the Lord. Second, some point, it's a reality that goes against selfish ambition. Church membership, it's a reality that goes against selfish ambition. And this is the focus of 15 through 27. There are two types of divisive mindset, and both are rooted in selfish ambition. The first is the one that envies the role of another in the body and that they deem more important. And the other is the one who thinks they don't need the rest of the body because how important they are in their own eyes. There's two dysfunctional examples in the text. And Paul helps us out here so well. You see, we need diversity in the body. We need different parts of the body. Uh, break your toe sometime and realize, oh man, I really needed that guy, you know? Uh, the parts of the body are indispensable. An overemphasis on diversity might lead us to a sinful spirit of independence from other believers. But then an undue stress on unity and conformity might lead to an arrogant insistence that all believers be exactly like us. Both are out of step. We need unity and diversity in the body. Both are prideful. One has false humility. The other has an overvalued view of themselves. Now look at verses 15 through 20. Paul says God has placed them to serve in different stations of importance. It's not about their preferences, but God's providential arrangement. And Paul has no tolerance for false humility for those who do not like how God has put them together in one body. When someone is having a, quote, poor me moment, they need to read about God's purposes and trust them. And we've all been there. We've all had self-pity. And when someone is feeling down about the role, they need to be reminded that God does amazing things with those things that go unseen by man. He does amazing things with humble people. And so sinful self-concern like this lies to us. It's fueled by the devil. And it causes members to stop focusing on daily faithfulness. And instead, they become more self-focused, more self-centered, and they will amputate themselves from the body. And sometimes it leads to the next issue, which is the self-important one who promotes themselves. This is the kind of sinful self-concern that also amputates and notice that Paul has no tolerance for the blatant pride of those who think they have no need for the other parts of the body. I mean, don't you know those guys are a blessing too? You know, I, I really don't need anyone else here. Paul contradicts them. The parts they think are less important are actually, he says, these are his words, indispensable. It reminds them that the other, often the parts with the least amount of man's honor matter all the more and uniquely display his glory. So Christians who are regarding as having a less important public uh, role and function in the congregation are actually essential in God's mysterious plan. So God's divided the labor. And all the body parts fulfill their functions and are mutually concerned for each other, mourning with each other, and celebrating with each other. There's no division in the body. And as you can see, Paul sees a formal commitment here, like parts of a body are unmistakably linked. So chapter 12 demonstrates that the Bible, 
from the Bible that church membership is not only biblical but vital to the health of a local church because Paul applies it to the local church. So, let me do a little application here. I mean, does not this passage challenge how many today approach the church as consumers who really sound like Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? Some of you don't know that reference. Some of you do. But it's the spirit that comes out. Does not this challenge the idea that believers can walk around comfortably thinking they don't need other members? It's a direct check to that. You don't need other members? Wrong. God's word says you do. Church, this is just 1 Corinthians. We, we haven't even scratched the text that deal with all the one another commands and obligations even towards leaders in the church. Let's go to part three, point three. Practical questions on membership. What is a church? Here's a good definition. It's a body of Christians who are in regular and accountable fellowship where the word is rightly preached and baptism and the Lord's Supper are rightly administered. The Baptist faith and message gives a, a broad summary of the New Testament's teaching, which is very fundamental and easily observed. When you read the, the Baptist faith and message and you read letters like 1 Corinthians, you can see this, they didn't pull this out of thin air. This comes right out of biblical ideas here. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges, invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. So within that summary statement is the idea that, that is a true, church is a group of believers assembled in his name, that means in submission to Jesus as ambassadors of Christ. I know I probably should slow down a little bit, but I'm trying to quickly get, get through some of this material, but at the same time, I want that to settle on you. We are assembled in his, his name, which means we submit to him as our ruler, and we are therefore his ambassadors. It has the idea that church membership, when it says associated by covenant in, faith, in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ. One author put it like this, a church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to preach the good news and the commands of Christ the King to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and examples of their elders. End quote. So I hope we're clear on what a church is today. But what is membership? Well, church membership is a natural outgrowth of the gospel. You see, the gospel gives us a special relationship with God by His grace. But according to Scripture, it also includes a meaningful relationship with His people. He brings us into His family, a body. Local churches aren't the places where we live according to this, excuse me, local churches are the place we live according to this new reality. If you have new life, if you've been born again and you've been set apart and empowered by the Spirit to walk in newness of life, the local church is the place where we live out this reality. We don't just say we're reconciled. We show it. And so that's why we're here today, to show that. We show it by joining a congregation, committing to love her, to, to love one another, to help one another grow in Christ-likeness. And by joining a church, we commit to other redeemed sinners, and to show the world that Christ has indeed reconciled us both to God and to each other. You know, the cross reconciles us vertically with God Almighty and horizontally with one another. And we display the gospel's work when we gather as a church, commit to one another in covenant membership to fulfill Christ's commands. Church membership is a church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's profession of faith and discipleship combined with the Christian submission to the church and its oversight. I like Dr. Ben Merkel of Southeastern Seminary. He said, church membership here is a formal commitment to a local church. In other words, it's a covenant between an individual and the local church. A covenant agreement unto what? To fulfill what Christ has called us to do. Church, when you and I stand at a members meeting and we're voting someone into membership, it's not whether you socially approve them. Heaven help us if that's what you think that is. 
That has nothing to do with it. It's about us hearing their testimony, affirming that they have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, have been baptized in accordance with his command, and we are voting to take responsibility to care for them. And they are taking the responsibility to care for us. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's so much more than some uh, social club that we're you know, warmly a part of from time to time. The covenant should affirm that the new believer has made a credible profession. The church is committed to shepherding him. And the new member is committed to meet regularly with the church and follow its leadership in the word. Well, how can we gracious, what are some practical things we can do to make sure we hold the line of biblical fidelity on church membership? The first thing you need to note is it takes time, it takes public prayer, and application in our weekly commitment to sit under the word of God preached. One of the things that the elders and I strive to do is build an application of not what it only means to you individually, but what it means to us as a church corporately. There are corporate responsibilities that we are to, to, to fulfill. But it takes time and prayer and commitment. Another thing you could do, listen to the gospel every week in the, in the assembly and, and, what, and listen to what it means to be a Christian, which always includes being united to your brothers and sisters and them to you. Another thing to do, re remember you represent the Lord as a member of the local church. You are representing King Jesus. Here's one that's close to my heart, and i got to say, 2022 was the best year we've had in this observance. Join the church in corporate prayer when you can on Sunday nights. I feel bad for members who miss out on the closeness we get by praying for one another on Sunday nights. And we have, it's been the sweetest uh, year we've ever had, and, and, and I've been delighted, and I'm so encouraged when our folks show up in labor and prayer, maybe, maybe in many ways that's why we've seen answers lately. Because our God's been working in people's hearts to go and pray. Another thing to do is repent of territorialism. Where it's all about, quote, your ministry. No, there is the ministry of La Plata Baptist Church. That might offend somebody. Again, I'm, I'm about him. Just going to take it to him. Show up when the doors are open knowing your primary ministry is to be present so that organic care can take place. You can't fulfill those things. You can't get to know people unless you come. And if you're struggling with, with relationships, let's work on that. Let's see how we can encourage you. Uh, there's no guarantee that, that there won't be trials and difficulties. These are just some practical things to do in the meantime. Uh, another, another thing to do, see your need always for discipleship no matter your age. See your need always for discipleship no matter your age. None of us, unless we've adopted the Corinthian mindset, have arrived. Amen? Amen. We need to be growing in the Lord. We need to be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need discipleship. Every single one of us needs help in dealing with an issue from time to time. <clears throat> Another application. Remember that the Christian life is personal, but it's never private in the New Testament. And let me explain. We are a public unit, an embassy. And what I mean by this, there are many issues in your life that are private. Please, yes, amen. <laughs> but do not believe the devil's lie that secret sin does not impact and will not impact the body. It always does. It eventually surfaces. Let me say that again. Do not believe the devil's lie, that secret sin, that harboring of that thing that's going on that no one else is supposedly knows about right now, that, 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 that whatever, it could be lust, it could be envy, it could be bitterness, rage, whatever it may be, do not believe that secret thing, quote, put that in, in, in quotes, does not impact and will not impact the body of Christ. It does, and Satan wants you to believe it will not so he can harm the whole body of believers. Do not believe that lie. Another application, remember to stand guard over the statements of faith. One of the reasons we don't allow people to join who have settled positions against the agreed-upon set of beliefs in this church is so that church's unity is not fake but rooted in the gospel. 
It's not trivial. We have genuine unity in the church. Another one, remember the covenant that we all agreed to in the membership of this church that will be read this morning. Think of the ways it doesn't allow for us to sit back and, and think on ourselves 24-7, but to think of Christ and those who need our love, including those inside and outside the church who need to hear about Christ's love. Another application, I have two more. Know that you will be seen as strange by many today if you believe this. But remember that folks today will blindly sign their names and commit themselves to gym memberships, cell phone contracts, uh, all kinds of apps on their devices. But for some, some reason, when uh, for some reason, people are ironically skeptical about being formally committed to God's plan of the local church. Last application. Let's get busy talking about our walks with one another. Share an encouragement. Share, share that misstep so that we begin to help each other follow the Lord better. I, 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 I am so grateful for many of you after the service. You'll get right into it with me. I'm thankful for that. Just like, man, this is, the, this is what this week's looked like for me. Pray for me. Or, hey, this went well. You prayed for me. Thank you so much. It went like this. I've been thinking about following Jesus in this way, and, I'm, and I can see how he's led through his word to me this point to make this decision. Just sharing your spiritual walk with one another. That's, that shouldn't be weird in a church, should it? That should be normal that we would talk about what's going on with our lives. Well, friends, I have preached and teached long enough, long enough, taught long enough. I should, let's close in prayer. Lord, as we start this new year, give us the grace and maturity to see the importance of the local church as it's revealed in your word and to walk in the maturity you've called us to, Lord. Help it to be fluent in our language among one another and, in, and deeply rooted in our hearts what it means to represent you and to be members of the body of Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.